Hello and welcome back to New Around Here. This is your host, Kate Cruz, and I am so excited to have on Emily Cole. She is a co-owner of the Savannah Bananas. If you are a baseball fan, you've probably seen them. They're the dancing baseball team. And I'm so excited to be talking with Emily about her experience as an co-owner and everything that that entails. And so, Emily, thank you so much for being here today. My first question for you is going to be, you know, if you would just kind of tell us about, you know, early adulthood, um, you know, after college, after school, you know, what did you like, what was kind of your career trajectory? What did you think that was going to look like? And then, you know, how did I, so Jesse, your husband is the other co-owner. Mm -hmm. You know, when did he come into the picture? When did the bananas come into the picture and how did that start? Yeah. Awesome. So first, you know, I think it's so hard for kids in society to know what they want to do. And so we have this pressure on us to go to school and and know what you want to study and all that. And so I somehow had the ability to kind of take that pressure off myself. And I just studied communications at college. I figured that that was something that could be helpful in any area. Um, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. And I, I kind of knew that that would be okay. And I'd, I'd figure out my way. And so I really studied just this broad spectrum of things in college. I did a little bit of marketing, a little bit of PR and left college and got a quote unquote big marketing job and realized that I hated it. And so again, you know, kind of gave myself permission to step back and figure out what it was that I really wanted. So I was working this corporate job from eight to five, but I picked up a, an evening fun job at the local ballpark in upstate New York. And I had this fun after work job that is where I found my actual passion. And so I said, okay, well, can we flip flop these things? And can this become, you know, the real deal? Can this be the career? And so that's how I got started was really just me wanting to get my hands dirty and find something that I was passionate about since the the real grown-up job was not checking the boxes for me. So started working for a minor league team in upstate New York just as a part-time fun thing at night and then was able to be brought on full-time by Ripken Baseball and started my my actual career with them. So I worked for a number of minor league teams that Cal and Bill Ripken owned and that's kind of how I got my feet wet in the industry. And again, just tried different things, worked in different departments, really kind of raised my hand and volunteered for everything because I wanted to know what area I was really passionate about and loved working with the community. So started doing more of the community outreach stuff with the teams and then ran into my boss had gone to a, a conference and she heard Jesse Cole speak. And she said, you guys are both so passionate about the community and what a team can mean to an area. And I really think that you guys should meet because honestly, I think he's the guy that you're going to marry. And so this is just a complete cold conversation that she and I were having. I mean, it was out of nowhere. I was not looking to get married. You know, yeah. that was not the goal. Um, but she did. She introduced me to Jesse. And of course, you know, we we really did hit it off. And we have the same passion for taking care of people and entertaining people at ballparks and stadiums and how that can bring a community together and what it can do for people and different um, causes and organizations in the area. And so we we hit it off. That was in, I think, 2009 or 2010. By 2011, I was working with him at the team that he had in North Carolina. I had moved and was working there. And we've been together and running teams ever since. 
Wow, that is incredible. <laughs> that, that, that's the way of uh, how you were introduced to him is hilarious. Yeah. And I, I relate a lot to the college path of just a little bit of everything. And where do you think that you kind of found, because like you said, so many people feel the pressure to know exactly what they want to do. And so where do you think you either like got the permission or were just comfortable not having that outlook? I, I know I'm, I credit so much to my upbringing and my parents, you know, I'm very fortunate to have um, two parents who are still in love and just very wholesome family. A lot of confidence was poured into us and, uh, you know, just great values. I've got three younger brothers, so we were a very athletic family. Um, so I think a lot of confidence came from just that area. And I, I really hope to pour that back into others because the permission that I got from them, and I think just the confidence built over being an athlete and being, uh, you know, a good student in school and all of that kind of gave me the permission to say, it's okay if I fail and it's okay if the road doesn't go exactly as I think it's going to go. And so just having that mindset going into college and throughout college, I think took a lot of the pressure off. And so I was able to focus on what meant the most to me in, in that time. And it was, of course, school, but I was really involved in extracurriculars. I did a ton of internships and really just wanted to see the world. And so I think the more that we can teach youths and, and young people that, I think it will help them. And I encourage all of the interns who come into our, our teams, get your hands dirty and try different things because until you're out in the real world, it's so much different. And when you're learning it in a classroom, it's just not the same. So I'm very grateful to have that, that kind of confidence. And like you said, that permission to give me myself that freedom. And I really can say that a lot of my, I guess, success is because I was able to try so many different things and not just get pigeonholed into one area. I think um, you mentioned three brothers. I think brothers have an immediate confidence boost on <laughs> yes. with what they put them through. I have an older brother yes. and he was a year older than me in school. And so just all the friends that overlapped and yeah, no, I, I totally, when you said three brothers, I'm like, okay, so this girl. <laughs> yeah. That's, that checks out. <laughs> they, they, yeah. Um, so I want to keep talking about family for a little bit, because I know that's the most important thing to you. And we'll get to baseball and banana ball. But um, one of the most amazing things that I think I have found out about you is not only are you a biological mom, but you are also a foster and adoptive parent. And so can you tell me a little bit about, you know, you and Jesse's kind of parenting journey? Did you guys have a biological yeah. kid first? Was it adoption and fostering first? Or how did that all play out? Yeah. So family is obviously very important to me. I've got the three brothers and loved having that big family. And then just with, with us running teams, uh, Jesse and I are constantly around hundreds of people. And in the sports industry, you work so closely with your coworkers that you become a big family. So having a, a large family and people all around us and the chaos, and uh, that's just kind of who we are. It's, it's part of our DNA now. So we we did talk about growing a family. You know, we spent a couple of years just married and working on our teams and then realized, you know, we got to our 30s and, you know, we wanted to take that next step. So we did have a biological son first, and then we went into the, the COVID area, the era, and we we had discussed at length earlier in our relationship adoption and just knew that that was kind of always in the back of my mind, especially. And then it was something that Jesse definitely supported and was interested in. 
So when we talked about growing our family after having our son Maverick, for us, it wasn't necessary to have another biological child. We were blessed enough to be able to have one, but for us, it it wasn't that our future children had to be, you know, have the same DNA as us. So we talked about adoption, we talked about foster care, but we didn't really know a lot about it. And about the same time, you know, COVID would shut everything down. So we were working from home a lot. And Jesse is a a very uh, big reader. He reads probably two books a week. And so one of the books that he had that he thought I would enjoy was by Marie Forleo. And the book was ta- uh, titled Everything is Figure Outable. And so that. at that time, we're, we're stressed about our business. You know, we have a one-year-old. Life is crazy. We're, we're stuck at home. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do with our family, where we're going to be based. And I had read a lot recently about foster care, but it was one of those taboo topics in society that we don't talk a lot about. We don't know a lot about unless you're in that inner circle. Mm-hmm. And so the more I learned and read about it, I was like, wow, this is hard. This is, this is an impossible thing for our life. You know, we travel the country working. We've got a baseball team. So we work till two in the morning, a lot of nights. We already have a one-year-old. I don't understand how we could be foster parents. But then I read that book, Everything is Figure Outable, and it just clicked for me. And I said, we can do this. I don't know how it's going to look. And um, that's okay. Again, kind of like how I, I figured out the college and the career thing. I was like, we'll just figure it out as we go and we'll we'll make things up. And so we started taking online courses, which is again, different from how things are normally. Um, but because of COVID, everything had to be virtual. So we took classes and about nine months after starting, we were licensed foster parents. And just that journey um, is something that I will never forget because we learned so much and we've now discovered this passion for this whole group of people, uh, judges and social workers and biological family members who have had um, kids taken out of their care for certain reasons. And then of course the kids who are brought into care. Uh, There's this whole group of people that are, you know, our neighbors, they're right down the road from all of us. And most of us don't know what's going on in, in their situations. And so We are so grateful to have been brought into that world and are proud to be foster parents and huge advocates now for the foster care community. And so that's kind of how it started and don't see it stopping anytime soon. We received a call immediately after getting licensed and we've had a little girl with us for two and a half years. So she was our first placement. She's still with us and we are on the path to adoption with her. And again, about nine months after she came to us, we got another call for another baby who was in the NICU. Um, She was detoxing pretty heavily, but was able to detox the rest of the way at a home. And so they needed foster parents for her. And so she's been with us now for about 20 months. So we have two little girls, our first two placements. They're both still with us and they're both on the path. Um, to adoption with us. Our family will be adopting them. And so, yeah, that's that's where we are with our parenting journey currently. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. I think I got chills three times during <laughs> talking yeah. about that. So what, like, I want to hear more about, you know, the foster parent community and like kind of, you know, when you were taking those courses, dipping your feet in, you know, what were some things that you guys were scared of that you were really excited about some things that you didn't expect to happen? Yeah, there's, there's so much. I think the number one thing you, you hear when you do talk to people about foster families is, oh, I, I could never do that because I could never give them back. That is just the sentence that we hear over and over. But when we switched our mindset to 
hey, we're going to bring these kids into our home. It is not forever. Our goal here is not to permanently grow our family. If we wanted to do that, we would try to have biological children or we would adopt. Um, fostering, that is not the answer to fostering. The goal with fostering is always to reunify with families. You are just a safe space in their time of need while they're going through some sort of traumatic thing in their family. Um, so you are just walking alongside both the kids and hopefully the biological family members who need a little bit of support. So once we shifted our mindset to, hey, we are not here forever for them. We are just here for a season. It was really easy for us to get through the the thought of, oh, I, I could never fall in love with them and then give them back uh, because they were never ours to start with. Right. It's, it's just for a season. Um, now, of course, ironically, both of our girls are staying. So that kind of goes out the window, but that's, that's foster care, whatever your plan yeah. is, it's going to, it's going to flip on its head. Um, but we just shifted our mindset to that and said, you know, we just want to support them. That's what we're here for. That's what this foster care journey is going to be for us. And, um, then it was really easy for us to look past the hard stuff. And then when you, when you walk alongside people with empathy, it's a lot easier. I mean, it, it's, you could go into this and be really mad at the parents and the caregivers for these these kids in care. You know, our girls went through some horrible things. But when you back up and you look at it, it is a generational problem. It is usually not their parents that had the first, you know, bad set dealt to them. Um, I'd mentioned earlier my parents and my upbringing. I'm so fortunate and I'm only where I am today because of the stability and the education and the resources that I had handed to me. So when people in society don't have those things handed to them, of course, they're not going to be fit to parent immediately. You know, when they're they're teenagers and they're <laughs> dealt a bad hand and they don't have support and they're living on the streets, how do we, how do we expect them to be successful? And so when you go into the situations with empathy for them and realize that they're not doing this, because they want to hurt their children or because they want to be bad parents. Um, it's a lot easier to look at it with a, a, you know, a lens of support. And so we just shifted our mindset. You know, fortunately we were able to shift our mindset and go into it like that. And um, it's been a, a more peaceful, I think, journey for us because of that. Um, you know, it, it is easy to come in with a lot of hate and there are times that you'll be disgusted and you'll be appalled at what, is going on, like I said, just down the street from us. Um, but again, if you you shift your mindset, it, it helps. And so we were able to do that. And really, it's been like that since since we started. And so we've we've learned a lot. And now our goal is to kind of walk alongside others and invite them into the foster care community. Obviously, the goal would be to become foster parents, but not everybody can do that. So our goal now is to just help advocate for supporting those who are foster families, because if they can have support and they can keep bringing in children into their home, um, I think we'll have a lot more stable community and society will hopefully just <laughs> be be a little bit easier yeah. on each other. Yeah. You know, just, you know, one little thing can do a lot. And I mean, you are completely changing these kids' lives. So that's just incredible. Uh, Talk about mindset shifts and like the, you know, kind of shift around foster parenting definitely can't be the first time that you've kind of had to, you know, shift yeah. your way of thinking. And I, you know, I, so my mom actually got me this book called Think Again. I think it's by, I don't have it. I can't look at the author, um, but it's literally all about 
um, you know, the benefits of being able to change your mind. And so where, you know, maybe it was a little bit of college and kind of being okay with failure, but where do you think you kind of got that muscle to be okay with changing your mind like that? Well, going, going to the baseball topic, uh, we, we failed a lot with our teams and, you know, there's points in any failure that in any story where you are ready to throw in the towel or do you want to keep going? And so I think just the repetitive failure for us, for, for both Jesse and myself in our respective teams. And then when we got together and started running teams together, you get to that point of failing and it's like, okay, well, are we done? Are we going to go do something else that we don't love? Or are we going to dig in deeper and try harder? And so I think just doing that repeatedly has kind of groomed our brains to just adapt and just do it that way from now on. And so we are just used to going through hard things and, you know, hard things are relative. Of course, I'm not saying that (laughs) things that we've gone through are anywhere comparable to what some people in the world go through. But when we get used to going through some challenges, but we dig in deeper and we get through them, it's easier the next time you get to a failure because it's just now what you do. You just go through that wall. And um, so again, grateful for the failures that we've had because they have taught us how to discover, you know, getting to that other side. And so we we would never take back any of the challenges, but we've had quite a few with our teams. Uh, the biggest one probably being when we launched the bananas in 2015, we were freshly married and, you know, young and full of energy and zest for life. And we had this great idea to launch this new team in Savannah, Georgia. It's a great market. Um, we had this cool name. We were going to name it the Savannah Bananas. We were going to name it after a fruit. We were going to be a fun team. And we named it the team. We announced it and everybody hated it. And we sold like two tickets in the very beginning and everybody was making fun of us and we were the talk of the town and people wanted us to leave. And that was probably our biggest adversity to date was just overcoming that launch, um, running out of money and having to sell our house and pour literally everything we had into this franchise to keep it going. And so when you get to points like that in your life and then you get through them and fortunately you make it, it's just how you operate from, from then on. Yeah. Wow. So with young kids, how do they kind of adjust to all of these changes? You know, and we'll kind of use this to kind of veer into baseball, but you guys are traveling all the time. I can't imagine your kids having a quote unquote normal life of, you know, (laughs) in one place going to elementary school. But I I think you learn so much more probably traveling than you do in an elementary school classroom. Uh, Yeah. You know, have you seen kind of like their outlook or just kind of like their ability to adapt to changes? Yeah. One thing that we learned when we started our fostering journey is just that kids are so resilient. Yeah. I mean, so much more than we give them credit for the kids, our girls, you know, the things that they've gone through and you look at them now and obviously there's still trauma there, um, but they are so resilient and they're just healthy, vibrant little girls now. And you wouldn't think twice when you looked at them, uh, you know, to, to think what they've been through. And so it's the same with our kids and our schedule. They, they don't know anything different. We we're on an airplane every week. We're on a bus. We're in a hotel room. We're in an Airbnb. We're, we're with the team, uh, in a different city, you know, they're under five, they're learning all the States of the country rather than, you know, being on their local T-ball team. And so there's there's pros and cons to that for sure. And every once in a while, I beat myself up because they don't have that normal life that a lot of kids have. But the experience that they are 
having is all that they know and they are happy with it and they love it and they're resilient and they learn how to nap on an airplane or, you know, sleep in a a hotel pullout couch because that's yeah. just that's just what they do. That's what they um do. and so yeah, we're big advocates for that as well. You know, we were told before we had kids, hey, with your lifestyle, you know, some things are gonna have to change. But then we were also told, hey, it doesn't have to. You know, your kids are coming into your life. You do not need to change your life and and have the world revolve around this new baby. Bring them into your world and have their world adapt to yours. And so that's just what we did. So they're, they're on the road with us and they're doing what we do and their schedule is what ours is. And for us, it works. It, it doesn't work for everybody, but we've found that our kids are resilient and they're happy with it. That's awesome. So I want to talk, let, let's focus on banana ball now. And so not only like banana ball is like a whole new sport, basically. Like it took baseball, which is one of like America's most classic sports and you flipped it on its head. And, you know, something, so I, you know, you guys have a um, little docu-series on ESPN that I watched and something that I really liked about kind of like what the focus was of that is, you know, your guys's emphasis on, you know, attracting the new or the younger generation to baseball. Cause that's, you know, as a, you know, girl who is a fan of baseball, there's not many of us, I feel like. And so, you know, I can also really see how, you know, as the classic game of baseball is getting older, like fewer kids are going up into baseball and they're going to football, they're going to wrestling, whatever. Yep. Um, and so I thought it was really cool how you guys were, you know, again, able to really flip this thing on its head, but still keep the core of what it is to be able to really attract more people and make it a better sport, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And so just kind of give me the outlay of how like you and Jesse and the team kind of created banana ball and like the decided on the differences of the sport, decided on what to keep the same. And, you know, I, I you said that the first you know time around, it was a total failure, but now you're selling out every stadium. So how, how did you get from A to B? <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, first of all, it was a long time coming. You know, it's, it, it always makes me cringe when people say overnight success because there, there are no overnight successes. There are years and years of work that go into it before the success. And, and that's how it was with us. We, we studied for years, um, what was wrong with the game of baseball and not, not even just the sport, but for the experience for the fans, you know, Jesse played uh, D1 baseball. So he had a front row seat to some of the best athletes. He was being recruited to play before he tore his shoulder. So he had a great seat in front of amazing athletes and noticed that people were not coming to the games. People were not staying to the games. Um, I saw the same thing working in minor league baseball. You'd, you'd have some people, some nights you'd have good crowds if you had fireworks or something special, but nobody stayed till the end. And so the writing was on the wall for us for years. We would see the problem with this. And as, as we, as a, you know, a group are moving towards shorter and shorter attention spans, we're seeing all of this kind of come together, all this information saying, okay, our attention spans are shorter and the game is getting longer and, and more boring because people cannot identify with these amazing athletes. You know, you can watch them and, and be impressed for a little bit, but the majority of people cannot connect with these superstars out on the field because they don't have the athletic ability. They don't live like them. So we're, we're seeing all this come together. And so for years it was, how do we entertain people and, and keep them 
engaged at the ballparks. And so, of course, we did the between inning stuff. And, and I would say that our entertainment definitely rivaled other other teams, but it wasn't there. The game still had to be edited because they were still there for four or five hours. So, yes, we could have the best entertainment, but it's still hard to keep people engaged for that long. And so at the end of the day, it was like, I think we have to change something fundamentally with the actual game that's being played. And so that's when we actually sat down and said, well, what are the parts of the game that are truly boring? And what are the parts of the game that are really exciting? And how do we amplify those? And so, for example, something like a walk, you know, when when bad pitches are thrown and the batter cannot hit it, there'll be balls. And when they get to four of those, they walk to the first base. This is an athletic sporting event. And one of the one of the moves is called a walk. It's just, I mean, it's right there that telling you that that's going to be boring, right? So we have, we have flipped that play on its head and now it's called a sprint. So when, when the, the pitcher throws four balls, we kind of punish them in a way where they now have to work to get the runner out where they have to, they can sprint around the bases as fast as they can as get as many bases as they want before all the defenders touch the ball. So what, what it's done is take a play that's already happening in baseball, but it's taking the boring part out and it's making it more exciting. Things like getting the fans engaged. One of our most popular rules is that if a fan in the stands catches the ball on a foul ball, it's an out. How much more engaging is it that if we sit down at the ballpark, we could be a part of the game. Yeah. If we catch the ball, we are making a play for the team. So things like that, where we can get people involved, we can make plays more exciting. That was always the mission for us. And fortunately, the response has been amazing. People people want that. They want to be engaged. They want to be involved. They want that fast action. That's how you know we are, again, as a society, fast moving our attention spans going. We want that next fast thing. So that's been the goal since the beginning. And that's what all of our rules are kind of centered around is that goal. And so banana ball is very quick. It's a two hour time limit and it is completely action packed. What is your favorite rule of banana ball? Uh, I mean, I think the, the fan catching the foul ball has to be just because especially now having kids and having them in the, in the stands, just the the fact that kids are bringing their gloves to games because they, because they need to, right. Because they might be a player. And that is just so exciting. You know, one of the things that we studied when, when building banana ball is the little league numbers and across the country, little league numbers are declining. You kind of alluded to this earlier. People are choosing lacrosse. They're choosing soccer less and less kids every year are choosing little league. So the more that we see kids come out to the ballpark with gloves, we truly feel like we are revitalizing even baseball. We're not trying to eliminate the game of baseball. We're just trying to make it more exciting and get kids and families back engaged with the sport. And it seems that it's working, which I love. I mean, I was going to say I brought my, I mean, my brother and I brought our gloves to Wrigley Field. I don't think we ever were able to finally get a catch, let alone get someone out. But I mean, that's, that's super exciting. And like I said, as a, you know, girl who loves and watches baseball, it's disheartening to see kind of, and you know, the MLB is finally making some adjustments, you know, with the pitching clock, like they're, they're catching on, but they still, they're they're still walks. So, (laughs) and I, so I know that like banana ball, is not your only business venture. I believe you have Airbnbs as well or one. So correct me if I'm wrong. So you have Banana Ball, a biological kid, foster kids, and another business. 
Yeah, we actually have a couple because Jesse's actually an international speaker. Uh, <laughs> so he <laughs> and he's written three books. Um, so we're constantly doing things for for that, you know, on tour with his speeches and things for his his books. He's a he's a great author and speaker. Um, but then yeah, the Airbnbs, but again, it's we always say um constraints foster creativity. And the reason that we have Airbnbs is because we ran out of money and had to sell our home to invest into the bananas when it was failing in the beginning. And we bought this decrepit, horrible little house that had been on the market for like three or four years. It was the only thing that we could afford. And we just poured love into it and fixed it up. And it was a duplex. So we were able to live on one side and rent out the other side. So we became Airbnb hosts by accident because we kind of had to. Um, so again, it's just that mindset shift change. It's like, hey, we're we're in a bad spot right now. How could we turn this around? And so we we were never looking for an investment property, but because it was the only thing that we could afford, uh, over time we fixed it up and said, hey, somebody might want to stay here. Um, and then we were able to to just start growing from there. And yeah, now we have uh, four that we've just bought you know, in a, a pretty bad state and fix them up and rent them out now. Well, and I guess that's probably pretty convenient if you're ever staying in a town where you have one of those Airbnb, yeah. <laughs> it's not you got an easy place to stay. So I guess that, you yes. know, really works well hand in hand. Yeah. So, okay. So that was an accidental business, but do you guys, like, I can only imagine with how big you guys, you know, think and dream and act, what is down the road? Where do you see banana ball going? You know, what other ventures, goals do you and Jesse and the family have? Yeah, for us at this point, it's all about creating more fans and entertaining more fans. So we have been so fortunate and we're we're so grateful that Banana Ball and the bananas have taken off the way that they they have. And we hear every day from people that they, you know, haven't had a chance to see us yet or the tickets are sold out. And so for us now, it's just being able to entertain them. People are craving good entertainment and they want to see the show. So for us, it's just about increasing that. We will always try to put our people first because we are a big family. We travel with about 125 people and there are countless others back home who are working on the show and, and running our broadcast teams and, and things like that. So for us, it it won't be a show every day of the year because that would deplete our people. Um, so it's not going to be doing 365 games in a year, but the idea will be probably bigger and more uh, well-known arenas and stadiums so that we can entertain more people at one time. So we've started out at smaller stadiums. You know, our stadium in Savannah holds about 4,000. We started out at some stadiums that are five, six, 7,000. Now we're pretty much only going to stadiums that are 10,000 or more people. And we are in talks with most of the major league teams now about playing in major league parks next year. So the idea is go to those big parks, entertain more people. We're talking to numerous countries about going overseas and playing in different countries. We are in talks about doing a cruise and entertaining our fans on a cruise and then potentially playing in another country where we port. So there are a lot of different avenues that we could go, but the goal will always be to entertain and take care of more fans. That's incredible. So with like, you know, these 
goals that you guys kind of have. How do you guys recruit the players and how, cause you know, it's, it's gotta be a unique player to play banana ball. Um, yeah. And I know you guys have all different kind of, from my understanding, talent ranges from, you know, what would technically be like minor league level to retired yep. MLB players. Yeah. And so what has that mix kind of brought the, um, entertainment aspect. Um, how do you think that has really having like all those different kind of levels playing together? How do you think that has helped bring together an audience? Yeah. Well, so now recruiting players is, is honestly, it's very easy, but in the beginning, again, it was so hard because the the first day of practice, Jesse says, okay, guys, you know, before you take the field, I've got a dance instructor who's going to come out and teach you some dance choreography. And you have these, you know, big macho athletes looking at you like, you're crazy. I am not going to do that. Did he, did he um, say that but, in a yellow tux? Did he announce that in a yellow tux? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Perfect. So yeah. he's, he's already a clown, you know, and they're looking at him like, what is happening here? Why am I here? Um, but it only takes a couple guys to say, okay, I won't take myself too seriously. I'll do it. So after, you know, much convincing, he gets a couple guys to do a dance during a game. And this started probably in 2007. I mean, this is way back. And those guys who do the dance, lo and behold, those are the ones who are popular at the end of the game. Those are the ones signing the most autographs and taking pictures. So now a couple other guys want to do it the next game. And then a couple other guys. Soon enough, everybody on the team wants to be the guy doing the dance because they're the ones that are taking the pictures and signing the autographs and they're the popular ones. So you get a couple guys that take a chance and prove that it's fun. And then it's easier for everybody else to to sign on to that kind of mentality. So it was difficult in the beginning. I will say now, you know, thanks to our support and social media, of course, the people who want to play for us, they know what they're signing up for. So they don't even really get to us until they've kind of made that decision in their head that, hey, this is what I'm here for. I'm here for the fans. I'm here to be goofy. I'm here to have fun. I'm here to make videos and dance and sing. And um, that is really the the kind of people that we bring in, but it's a step further than that too. So we know that they're not going to take themselves too seriously. We know that they're going to dance. Obviously they're amazing athletes, but at the time they, they get recruited or they get to us, they've either played D one baseball or they've played independent or professional baseball. I mean that they have to be at that level of talent. Um, and then the last thing is just that they're a good human. And and that sounds so simple, but every single person who is on our team or in our crew, honestly, I would, I would, you know, have them watch my kids. They are the best people. And I know that they are, you know, they're not going to swear in front of little kids. They are going to help grandma get to her seat when she's shuffling up the stairs. I mean, the people who are on our team are incredible athletes, incredible dancers and entertainers. Um, but they're incredible humans too. And so in order to get on our team, and there are thousands who are applying now to to try to be noticed by us and to be on our team, on our rosters, um, they have to kind of pass all those checks. And really at this point, it's kind of an invite only thing where one of our guys on our team recommends somebody and they're really not going to get in unless somebody on our team can vouch for them being, you know, the, the type of person who we want in our inner circle. So very fortunate to have grown from people who didn't want anything to do with us uh, to guys now kind of clamoring and, and sending in emails and having thousands of applicants to, to try to join our rosters. That's got to be really fun to go through all of the applications because I'm sure some guys <laughs> get really creative. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some fun, (laughs) some fun video applications and people who just show up in different costumes and try to prove themselves. Um, 
So yeah, it's, it's been fun. That's gotta be entertaining. So on the, you know, not the baseball team side, so like the office admin side. So probably I would consider it, you know, the more accessible where like, if you really do want to kind of get involved with the bananas and, you know, intern work with you guys um, to kind of wrap up, you know, this whole podcast is about being new somewhere. So what would your advice be to someone new on your team, someone new at a job and kind of, you know, maybe where you were at when you had just gotten out of college, a little unsure, but kind of ready to just do whatever. Yeah, this is such a, an important topic. And we we kind of talk and preach about this all the time. We talk to a lot of college classes, kind of like what I said in the beginning, get your hands dirty, get involved in things. It is so easy to sit at home and send emails to 50 different companies and attach your resume, but you are not going to stand out. If you show up and you volunteer or you bring something in to the team that is your talent, whether it's a a video or you make a special meal, if you want to work in food and beverage, I mean, whatever it is, you've got to stand out. So get your hands dirty, volunteer, show up, take the internship, take the part-time job, get noticed by people. Just like, just like most uh, industries, the sports industry is a, who do you know? And how do they know you? And how are you involved? And you, if you get noticed, you, you will get in somewhere. So the people who have gotten to our internship levels or to our part-time staff levels, that's who we hire for our full-time people. Almost none of our full-time staff came from the outside world who we didn't know until we hired them. Almost all of them started in a different position, in a smaller position, quote unquote, um, and have kind of worked their way up because they've they've proven themselves, especially in the sports industry. You're going to work crazy hours. You're going to travel all over. We want to see how are you in the trenches at three in the morning when things yeah. are not going well. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the more you can prove yourself like that, I mean, gosh, I'd, I'd hire you right now if you were amazing. And if, if I knew that, you know, so, so much easier than just sending out a blanket email with your resume attached where you're not going to stand out, get in there, get seen, uh, be visible. You'll, you'll get noticed that way. Well, I think that's really great advice, not just for what it is, but because that's exactly what you did, you know, when you got your part-time job in the minor league team, yeah. exactly what you did. So I think that's really great advice. Cause it just proves that, you know, that worked. <laughs> that's exactly what you did. Yeah. So do you have any other advice, any last things you want to add as we kind of wrap up here? Thank you again so much for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that the bananas stand for is just kind of being yourself and not taking yourself too seriously, being different. And that is a, a mantra that that we believe in. And I think that's just such a great message for everybody. Um, you're not all going to want to wear a yellow tuxedo or work in sports and that's okay. But whatever the passion is, be unapologetically you and be proud of that because somewhere in the world, it will fit perfectly. So that's what we always try to encourage our people to do. And hopefully what everybody listening will take away. I love that. Thank you again so much. This is New Around Here with Emily Cole and your host, Kate Cruz. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Around Here. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. You can also support the show by leaving a rating or review and sharing the podcast with a friend. See you next time.